Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking, and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello and welcome to another Ancestral Kitchen podcast. I usually start off by saying hello to Andrea, but sadly Andrea is not with us um, this week. But I do have another guest, so I will say hello to Naomi instead of Andrea. Hello, Naomi. Hello. (laughs) So Naomi is in Slovakia and we wanted her to come on to the podcast and talk in particular about the food traditions in Slovakia and specifically the food traditions around pigs and what happens when the pig is butchered and all the wonderful foods that are made from it. Um, as you know, if you've listened, I usually start off by asking Andrea what she had for um, breakfast because that's her last meal. And Naomi's in the same time zone as me we're both in um european time zone so i'm assuming naomi your last meal was lunch is that right yes and what did you have uh well it requires a bit of explanation (laughs) that's good we Uh, like that (laughs) (laughs) so i wanted to make so today in slovakia is a bank holiday statutory holiday so i had a little bit more time and mm-hmm. I wanted to make a Slovak dish called strapačky. It's, um, they have these potato dumplings that they, you pan fry with sauerkraut and bacon. So, wow. and I wanted to try That's a sourdough nice. version of these halushki, the, the potato dumplings, but I didn't have, okay. I, was, I didn't have time. I didn't put it together. I was going to use a starter and I didn't have enough starter for the potatoes that I, I had grated. So I turned that into potato pancakes. Mm-hmm. With and I used instead of flour, I used the sourdough starter, and it it worked really well. Wow! And then uh, instead of the potato dumplings, what I've done before is I mixed bacon and sauerkraut with, and I baked it in the oven with um, uh, various bits and bobs of vegetables. So there was some potatoes, some yams, some cauliflower, um, celery root. And bake that in the in the oven, and it was delicious. And so your whole family was there eating it because it's a holiday. Yes, yes, okay. we're all here home today. And I've got loads of questions about this already. the The pancakes that you did was the potato pre cooked, or did you grate it in raw? No, I grated it raw, but on the fine the fine uh, okay. bowls. Nice. And put some salt and and the sourdough starter, and that kept it to, and an egg or two. And that okay. kept it together enough to stay as a pancake. And then you fried it in, what, in cast iron in a cast iron pan? Yeah, I had a cast iron pan with lard. And then uh, a trick I learned from my husband is so hmm. whenever they, uh, whenever I, I don't fry foods very much, but um, something that they do here is when they, when they deep fry, uh, Slovaks love uh, schnitzel. Um, deep fried bread uh, pork breaded pork cutlet yeah and when they make it they put 
they put instead of most people like when you read in English they say to put paper towel on the bottom of a plate and you put it on the on the plate and everything gets soggy and mm. it's gross. So instead they put they get a casserole dish and they put old bread on the bottom of it and then ah. on the side of the casserole dish you can um, put them not laying flat but uh, on the edge and no, then the the grease will drip down into the bread and things stay no. nice and crisp instead of getting soggy. And then you eat the bread, obviously. Yeah. Yum. Well, Yum. I will because it's my sourdough bread. <laughs> yeah. If, if you use like old, old stale bread from the store or something, then no, but yeah. Nice. And then, so with the pancake, did you put the stuff from the oven on top of it or was it served separately? Uh, we just served. I just served it separately. Okay. And to put sauerkraut, you know, I've always wanted to make these dishes with loads of sauerkraut in, in the oven or in the slow cooker but we never really make enough sauerkraut to feel like just I feel justified in putting you know tons of it into a stew how much sauerkraut do you make uh well I'm going to admit something here I didn't actually make the sauerkraut okay. <laughs> it's possible sauerkraut is a staple here and mm, if you I get see. there's certain brands certain brands have um have uh, preservatives in them but certain mm. brands don't so I buy the ones without preservatives and yeah I do and make it but are, I generally... are there a reasonable price or because uh, here there are sauerkrauts around not as much as I imagine in Slovakia but you know you have to go out of your way to find one that's not um that actually has know, live bacteria in it and then when you find one with live bacteria in it, it costs the earth so I'm wondering whether um... it's different there <laughs> okay I'm sorry to admit this, but I bought it at Tesco. <laughs> oh, we have Tesco in Slovakia. <laughs> yes, we have Tesco, and they have quite a few kind of local foods. Okay. And uh, sauerkraut, it's it's in a bag. Oh. Although sometimes they have um, other things have them in buckets. Yeah, it's like a sealed bag. Oh. And, yeah. Nice. I, have, I, I do make sauerkraut, but usually that one, it's a lot more... Um, it doesn't usually if I just do it in a jar instead of a big crock mm. then it doesn't mm. get soft enough and this one is has obviously fermented for a lot longer and is softer. And what is it I've only I, last Christmas I did a dish with whole fermented cabbage leaves where I rolled pork mince in them and then I put them in a um, dish put them in the oven I put sau sauerkraut around it not much um, and I'm wondering when you put sauerkraut in that quantity in stews or in something that you're cooking in the oven, does it taste, how different does it taste to, to normal cabbage? And, and why, why do people do it instead of using normal cabbage? Uh, well, why people do it, um, mm. sauerkraut was just, it was just a staple around here for, it has been forever. And um, it was a very... Slovakia is traditionally a very agrarian uh, culture. And so it was something that was, it was already cut. It was already made. You just throw it in a pot and boom, it was already done in the winter. Um, the taste, when you cook sauerkraut, it mellows. So it still tastes like sauerkraut. It doesn't taste like fresh mm. cabbage, but it mellows. And I think it's a really good way if someone wants to start eating sauerkraut and it's too mm. strong for them, it's a really good way to 
uh, work into it to start with it because it does mellow. And especially if you mix it with potatoes or grains or some sort of, it kind of, and also bacon because bacon just makes everything taste good. Uh, <laughs> but it just it really mellows the the acidity so it's a great it's a great way to start uh eating sauerkraut okay i love the fact that it's literally from what you described there it sounds like expediency you know it's already chopped it's in in a big vat you've got tons of it and so why wouldn't you use it in a stew because you know you've got to chop a cabbage if you if you've got more cabbage in your stores yeah whereas the sauerkraut's already done and the idea of having that amount sauerkraut around and part of life is you know the equivalent now is a bag of pre-chopped mushrooms or pre-chopped carrots from the supermarket you know whereas that is a fabulous example of just fermented foods just at the heart of food culture because it's just easier to put them Mm. oh absolutely i um so this year, I, I still want to do it. I do want to do a big crock because it's the first year I have somewhere to put it. Uh, we moved before I was in an apart- apartment. And while we did have mm-hmm. a basement room, my husband wasn't up for all the neighbors um, complaining about the smell of a sauerkraut crock, <laughs> <laughs> which was, which was uh, I can see. So, but my uh, mother-in-law, for example, for years, she's she had a big, huge crock and it would sit in the living room until it started to bubble and it was warm and then they put it downstairs it was really heavy how uh, big oh gosh um I'm, i think metric now but like 20 yeah, 30 liters yeah. i don't know it's really big wow let's say 20 okay, i don't know what that liters. i don't know what that is in in um At 20 liters divided by four is uh 20 liters is like four 20 quarts quarts and Five gallons. And how long would that last? Uh, For her, the winter. And she would, we also, there's also uh, a stew. It's mainly, it's also used a lot for a stew called Segedinsky, which is the name, the original Segedinsky goulash comes from Hungary, but apparently the Slovak version is completely different than the Hungarian version. But it's a... It's a stew that has a lot of meats in it and also cream. And so that's mm-hmm. another one. The cream also uh, kind of tempers the acidity of the sauerkraut. Yeah, I've never tried sauerkraut and cream together, um, but I'd like to. As you know, I yeah, want to come and visit you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. I'd love it. Uh, yeah, no, the, well, as you were saying about the expediency of fermented foods, I mean, a lot of their foods were... You know, when you're, when you're working on a, if you have a farm, you don't, mm. okay, there's more time in the winter, but you need kind of those quick foods. So something like sauerkraut, and I've done it myself, I've made a big, huge, you know, maybe it would take me most of the day to make this huge jar of kimchi or something, but then I mm. throw it in the fridge and I can pull it out at any time. And there's like vegetables because to make a salad actually takes quite a while, you know, by yeah. the time you cut everything and, and, uh, yeah. Nice. If you have some sourdough bread and some sauerkraut and something hanging from the your pig butchering, then uh, you have dinner. You're right done. There. Yeah. yeah. And of course now uh, everyone's kind of says, you know, well, you've got to eat your sauerkraut raw because of the, the biotics in it. But the scientists now are showing that 
the paraprobiotics and the postbiotics in cooked um, fermented foods are incredibly valuable to our health. Yeah. And so there's just ancestral wisdom just going back and back there just as part of life that those microbes were doing amazing things to ensure the health of everyone who was eating them. Exactly. Amazing. And even, I mean, there, it's fermenting vegetables. It's kind of, Slovakia is kind of in this weird um, place where people still remember like their grandmothers fermenting a lot. And now it's coming back as something kind of new. So there's maybe, you know, it's not like people who fermented a long time ago and now it's coming back as a trend. There's a lot shorter mm. of a kind of time period in there. But, um, my like my sister-in-law's mother she remembers going swimming in the summer and the snack that you could buy was fermented pickles like wow. that's what you what you bought for a snack at the swimming pool how long ago was that uh 40 years ago okay maybe? not that long okay wow i think we are going to be focusing on a pig at some point during this <laughs> podcast, but I think perhaps we have to have you back to talk about fermenting. So my lunch um, was not as interesting as yours. It was um, a sheep stew. Our farmer um, has uh, sheep, um, mature, not lamb, which are completely grass-fed. And his cattle aren't completely grass-fed because it's very difficult in the terrain that we're in to completely grass-feed them. But the sheep are. And so when these sheep become available, I'm like, oh, can I buy a whole sheep? <laughs> I want the sheep. <laughs> it just, it's such a wonderful, strong flavour because it's, it's a, you know, an older animal. And I, I stew it. And because we're coming close to winter now, I've got all the greens around. So I had onion and cabbage and cavalonero and lots of different, spices in there I put um cinnamon in because um sheep has it seems to have a real affinity with kind of warm spices so mm -hmm. I like to put something in there that makes it makes it um even warmer you know it brings out that flavor mm -hmm. and um I had that with two types of sourdough bread one was spelt with some spent rye grain which i used to make beer and then dehydrated and ground into flour and the other one was a loaf that I just cooked um with a milk kefir starter that I the crust was so amazing I couldn't not have a slice of it even though there was other bread left in the red bin <laughs> so I cut the best that. Part. um with lard and with some sauerkraut I wonder do you have sheep in Slovakia is that something that's eaten traditionally or not uh, yes mm. but um so sheep are the the center of the country is full of sheep okay. um milk but they're 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 kept mainly for the milk so milk uh sheep milk products are a big thing or have been uh now it is however very hard to buy lamb or or sheep meat because all the lamb gets exported to italy wow really <laughs> yeah Gosh. so it's actually you know, like in the spring, Easter or something, I'll be like, yeah. it's, it's hard to find. Wow. That's, that's just crazy because, I mean, sheep can grow here. Yeah. As, as most people know, that Italy and parts of Italy particularly are famous for sheep milk cheese and products like that. Pecorino is, is an example of it. Um, and so there are sheep closer to home than Slovakia for us, for sure. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it's, 
that's the market for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but people are very cautious, at least in the West where I live, it seems like a lot of people are cautious about the or uh about the the taste and smell of it. I grew up on mutton, I love mutton, mm. but a lot of people here are a little bit um hesitant about it. Okay. So, because it's different, mm. because it's strong. Yeah, yeah, especially like lamb. You know, I've ha- I've been with people when they had lamb and they were surprised that it wasn't it wasn't strong. Um but I don't I don't mind strong mutton and and that was mm. like it's too much for my husband. Yeah, yeah. I've stopped using the word mutton, you know, because I I try to find the uh-huh. kind of word for the word mutton in Italy and that there is no word, it's just sheep. And so I think uh-huh. I've just been conditioned into calling it sheep. <laughs> there's a separate word for lamb, but there's no separate word for mutton. It's just it's just sheep. Either lamb or a sheep. <laughs> yeah. Let let's take a step back because although I know you, um not everyone listening will will know you. So, um I tried to remember before we um, started recording how I met you originally. I've never met you in real life. And I I think it was when I was back in England and either I was just about to have my son Gabriel or I just had my son Gabriel. And I seem to remember it had something to do with Katie Bowman, the movement specialist. And I think you'd potentially written a blog post about her or something to do with her uh, or that we connected I, I... around that somehow. You remember? So I wrote a blog post for not my own blog, but for someone else about. Um, I think it had to do with sitting. Yeah, maybe that. I think. It. Yeah. Um, and then I obviously I went to to nose at your own blog, and then I saw these amazing photographs and recipes, and I was just hooked. I think. And anyone, oh, I mean, you. we'll 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 link your blog, but um, anyone who wants to um who gets excited by traditional recipes and beautiful photography would um would love to to go and have a look at your site so you've been in Slovakia I think you told me 16 years yeah, is that right up 17 yeah and you have four children and your husband's yeah. Slovakian yeah um yeah. can you tell us a little bit about where you came from because you aren't Slovakian yourself and why you're in Slovakia and how your life is there? Oh, so I grew up in Canada, small town in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, As regards to food, we always ate a little bit differently because my father is Japanese. So we always, we would often get packages from family and friends in Japan. And we also ate, um, I remember looking in a pot, excuse me, in a pot of uh, hijiki seaweed with tofu and saying to my mother, it's my father who's Japanese, but my mother really embraced it and saying to my mother, um, friends are coming over tomorrow. Can we have lasagna? (laughs) Something normal. Now, of course, I'm very proud of it, but that really, um, and my mother was also, she, I'm so grateful she never, you know, in the 80s and 90s, she never fell for the low fat craze. Mm. She was always about butter and real food. She was real food before there was a real food movement. Yeah. Um, on a farm, we, we personally, when I was younger, we didn't have, uh, I mean, we just, you know, had a hobby, like 
chickens and, and guarded and stuff. But my extended family, we all lived on like one big side of the mountain. My extended family had sheep for years. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then my parents got cattle. And the sheep, they sold the sheep in a couple years in between. And then my, my parents got cattle. And yeah, we've always eaten things like eating organs or, or eating weird grains or something. It's just, it's just what I grew up with. And why do you think your uh, mom was like that? Uh, partly she, I mean, she was kind of partly hippie, natural person. She mm-hmm. also spent, not sure how much time, but quite a bit of time up north um, living with Native people. And so, okay. you know, we just, we had Canadian Thanksgiving is, is in October. And my husband was trying to ask me, like, a memorable Thanksgiving and one Thanksgiving we had this big old moose head um that <laughs> that cooked above the fire outside and that was wow. that was our Thanksgiving meat and she said that was a very like you know a normal thing when she lived up there with with uh, the indigenous yeah. people up north okay um yeah so you know if, if we had a moose head it was it was memorable but it, it happened yeah <laughs> And uh, uh, then I went to university. I met my husband, or who's now my husband. You went um, to university last... in Canada? Uh, I was one year in Canada and then in the, in the United States, in Michigan, okay. for three years. Okay. And my last semester was in Austria on a study abroad. And by that time, we were engaged, I think. Yeah, we were engaged by the, the end of that semester, and he wanted me to come to Slovakia just to see what it was like so I could understand him better. And, and uh, yeah, stayed, stayed here. Wow. Uh, now I have four children. The last two are twins. Mm. We lived for years in a flat and have just moved to a house, which I absolutely love because now I can have a garden. Yay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Although I am admittedly a terrible gardener. Um, oh, you, you have time and space now to, yes, to expand and to learn. Love the space. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe not the time um, with four kids. <laughs> um, I am now, just the last six months or so, I started mm. working in a restaurant. I'm a home cook. I'm not a trained cook. But mm. I came there because he was looking for someone who knew about foraging. And I gave some foraging tours uh, locally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing that my both my parents did that was normal for us was okay picking stinging nettle or you know other things from from the the forest. So from a from a food perspective, what is Slovakia like, and what is the landscape like? Um, I've never been there, and I expect you know a lot of people who are listening haven't. Try to paint us a picture, if you can, of of what the landscape's like. So the landscape is the the southern part is is fairly flat, but a lot of the country is hilly or mountainous. Uh, the the hilly areas, especially, is where traditionally there's been a long um, history of of shepherding of mm-hmm. sheep. Uh, the food is very Central European. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So it's a lot of potatoes, a lot of bread, a lot of sauerkraut, very heavy foods. Um, uh, soup is a, a staple here. People have soup. I mean, traditionally they had it every day mm. for, for lunch. Um, it communism during communism a lot of things the the food changed a little bit in that um for example so schnitzel wiener schnitzel is yeah a big celebratory food here but there wasn't very much meat then so then you make like the same thing but with cheese an adam cheese or a lot of mayonnaise based salads um um canned things if you can get fresh or things like that but yeah traditionally there was a lot more beans i think used beans and grains i remember i was talking to one older lady who lived in this town and and there was you know in a town of i don't know a couple thousand people there was something like seven mills or something everybody had everybody had their own you know and this is in her lifetime Mm. Everybody, which, and they don't exist anymore though. Okay. Uh, everybody had a patch. The The town is together and the, and this is still set up like this, even in farming areas. The town is together. People all live together. And then the, the fields surround the town. Um, so people don't have a lot of necessarily a lot of yard space in their yard next to their house, but then mm. they would have these patches in the fields um, outside of, outside of town. Communism actually really destroyed that because all the farms were uh, centralized and aggregated. So you actually had to give your cow to the the communist farm um, aggregate. And you lost, you literally lost your cow and then you had to like buy milk. Um, So it really changed that. It was very small family farms, Mm. you know, subsistent farming and, and it became in the West, especially in the West. Now it's, you know, huge fills and big, massive machinery. Um, in the center of Slovakia and in the East, I haven't been so much, but there are a lot more, uh, still more kind of family farming, subsistence farming. Do you think that those um, huge fields and machines are a kind of a legacy of how it was logistically during communism or are they something that's come since then? Uh, logistically since communism because it was all I mean all the land belonged belonged to everybody it's actually quite complicated because um the land was belonged to everybody and so they maybe built a farm or they started some you know built even you know a school or an apartment building and then communism ended and the land went back to the original owner but there was a school on it or there's a farm on it, you know, a state farm on it now. And so it, it's, um, yeah, it's actually quite complicated. When did communism fall there? Uh, 1980, actually, that's why we have a statutory holiday. Today is ah. uh, 1989. Okay, so a long time ago, but the effects of it seem like they are some part of the culture and will be, you know, moving forward for a long time. Yeah, it, um, you know, when my husband wanted me to move here so that I understood him better, it is definitely not something I could have understood just from reading books. 
Mm. Um, partly, I mean, it has changed a lot in the last 17 years that I've been here, but there's, you know, there's certain mindsets that come from that. There are logistic things like, like land and farming. Mm -hmm. There's, um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, of, and behavioral things that kind of, that, that get passed on and you, and people don't even realize it. Yeah, it's just um, part of the kind of tapestry of of what the culture is. Yeah, yeah, and and it, there's a big difference even between you know between young people, the say my nieces and nephews who are are a generation younger, and even my husband. You know, even between those two two generations, there's quite a difference. And how do you feel? You know, as someone who who grew up in Canada and knowing that world and that environment and then having, you know, literally shifted your life to a completely different world. Do you, I know it's kind of like asking which child is your favorite, but do you, do you <laughs> miss Canada? Do you prefer Slovakia? How do you feel about those two places in juxtaposition in your life? I, I always say every place has its pros and cons. There's, there's no perfect place, and there are things I love about Canada and things that are frustrating there, and there are things I love about Slovakia and that are frustrating here. Um, often very different things, but um, I, am, I am a small-town girl. I am a mountain girl. I, I live, the town we live in has hills behind it, so that was... I, I couldn't quite do the, the plains, but... Um, so yeah, I, I, and I grew up, you know, when you're a kid and you grow up, it's just whatever life you have is normal. That's all yeah. you know. And now when I look back, the, the, I did have a very unique, um, childhood, I think. And, uh, so I definitely miss a lot of aspects of that, you know, fam, of course, family and also that kind of wilderness nature environment that I grew up in, um, but we do a lot of hiking here. We do we do get out. There is a lot of, of a lot of beautiful places in Slovakia and culture. Uh, a lot of cultural things that that we can access here that are not possible were not possible in my little hometown. Yeah, yeah. I I agree with you when when you say that there's pros and cons to every place. When when I tell people that I live in Italy, it's easy for people to think oh Italy it's, you know it's wonderful and it's sunny and the language and the food and it is it's wonderful in some ways <laughs> and it's really really frustrating and annoying and difficult in other ways um, yeah. and you know going and living in a place is really the only way you get to learn that every every place has its bonuses but also every place has its frustrations as well You're so right. yeah exactly so the the reason that you're um, that you're here today is supposed to be to talk about um, Slovakian <laughs> pig butchering. So I think we better move on to that. There's a. Um, I heard you originally talking about this on another podcast that was um, a Slovakian-based podcast, a kind of a tourism podcast about Slovakia and its um, landscape and its cultures. But I've also read the um, blog post on your site where you describe the butchering process and what happens on that day and the foods that come from it and I was amazed to to understand the kind of the wealth of different foods and how it is all prepared 
literally that day, you know, how much work is done mm. and the array mm. of different foods and the fact that literally the entire pig, apart from I read the toenails, uh, is used. And I wondered if you, it, it would just be wonderful for you to be able to share with us, you know, your living experience of that tradition. And maybe start by giving us a bit of background. So, you know, what time of year is it? Who does it? Why does it happen? And, and how does it happen? Before we actually get onto the specific dishes, we could just have a, a background of, of what happens during this period and how and why. So uh, pig butchering is one of those, for, for years, everybody had a pig in their backyard. Um, this is something that is kind of slowing, slowly dying out as, as people get older. Mm. But, or that the generation that kept them gets older, I should say. Yeah. Uh, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> So you were saying how about everyone has one in their backyard? Everyone had a, yes. And so uh, some people did it themselves and mm. some people hired a butcher mm -hmm. who would come there. Um, it's, and often they would call, because it wasn't mechanized, then you would call people to come help. So you call your family, your friends, and it was kind of a big get together and um, lots of not only things to prepare, but also just manually lifting a, mm -hmm. a sometimes very large and heavy pig, lifting it up um, to hang it. Uh, and so the day before it would be, uh, <laughs> sorry, I totally. That's okay. <laughs> I totally, I totally blanked, totally blanking on this answer. What time of the year uh, is it done usually? Is it is uh, it a winter thing like January? So, so it's usually mm, December, January, okay. even November. At least, so it's chilly. So you do it outside, but it's it's um, it's usually relatively cold. So that the because they do let the meat that they do keep, they let it sit overnight and cool down. Okay. And so you need a, a. It's easiest if it's cool outside. And how old is the pig? Is it? Has it been raised in, for a long time, or is it a young pig? Mm, usually, like a year. Okay. A yearling. And so then it happens every year, or that's what would have happened, that they have you yes. have one pig for the year, and then you slaughter that pig and use it to cook all manner of things. And then what a family would, would get another pig for the following year? Uh, so I think there was a couple ways. That, yeah, you could either... The way at least that my in-laws did it was they would buy a, a piglet in the spring and then okay. butcher it in the fall. Okay. And then it's just running around in the garden during that time and eating what's available to it, or is it fed something spe specific? Uh, well, a lot for a lot of people, they it, unfortunately, they didn't run around very much. They kept them in small confines so that they would have more fat. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there is a farmer in the village next to me who is – this weekend, he's there. He has a, it's a heritage breed called Manglanita in, in Slovak. Mm -hmm. I think it's an Austrian, uh, uh, sorry, a Hungarian heritage breed. And he does them, have them outside and they run around. They feed them scraps, of course, but also some mm -hmm. grain. And they also, um, they would have these large gardens and at least half of the garden almost would be something like a turnip. 
it was it's not the same turnip that okay. we would eat, but some kind of turnip. And they have these large circular the best way to describe it is like a circular grater. And so they take these turnips or or maybe some other like pumpkins or squashes, other hard, you know, things that that last through the winter and grate them, turn this there'd be a handle that you could turn and the, the vegetables would go through this grater and then mm. they feed them that as well. Okay. So tell us how the day proceeds, um, the actual day of the, the slaughter and then what's cooked. How does it start? So the day starts, uh, well, it starts the day before. Um, mm. You wash a lot of pots. <laughs> okay. And and set up, so they have these... Um, basically like a very large cauldron that sits in a barrel and on the the if you imagine like a, a metal barrel and the, the towards the bottom there's a, a grate and you build a fire on there mm-hmm. and then this cauldron sits in it it's hmm, 30 to 50 liters mm-hmm. let's say 50, 50 liters they're quite large and the first thing that's done is early in the morning uh, you light a fire under them and fill them with water and get the the water boiling. Okay. There'd be at least two two of these. There's a little stove pipe from the back of it. Um, and the water needs to be hot. So when you then you come and also a fair amount of uh, sleeve will a fair amount of uh, fruit schnapps is also consumed during okay. this process. That's <laughs> like an integral part of it. Yeah. Um, uh, then they butcher the pig. Mm-hmm. The, the way that they did it um, now is you give it a shock and then um, slit the throat. So you shock it, it's out, it's not struggling. Mm-hmm. But you slit the throat and you collect the blood in a bucket. Okay. And as the blood is pouring out, you have to have your hand in there and you're stirring this bucket of blood so that it doesn't coagulate okay, very much yeah, yeah. Uh, or to, to lessen the coagulation. Uh, and then you need to clean it so that with this hot water, you wash it, you okay. scrub it, burn off the hair, just scrub it again, do this a couple times. Um, then hang it and uh, start, start uh, cutting it. And how many the, people are there when that's happening? How is it like family and extended family and friends, or not many? Depends how big your family is. <laughs> you need you need at least mm, at least three strong people to mm. uh, who are strong enough to kind of pick up this pig and hang it. Mm. You put the the there'd be a bar somewhere and, and hooks that you hook through the the tendons like the Achilles. Or what okay. would be an Achilles, um, and hang it upside down, and then there's usually. I mean, there's always lots of pots to wash. There's someone, my parents-in-law would hire a butcher. He mm-hmm. would come, and so he would do the main like gutting and cutting, and he would kind of order everyone around, and everyone else just <laughs> did what he said to do. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> so then, once the pig's hung, is it um, cut straight away? Uh, the the inside the inside is cut the guts yep. are taken out and the organs and all the organs um, 
Oh, and then pieces start going into one of these cauldrons. So you have these two cauldrons. You've used some of the water to wash the pig. Yeah. But then uh, bones go in one and organs go in another one. Oh, the organs together. And, uh, yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah. I might not be 100% accurate on this, but pretty sure they all mm -hmm. go in there. And those start cooking. And meanwhile, he cuts up the rest of the pig and, and kind of divides the, the uh, takes off the bone. They don't have very many cuts where they leave the bone in. So okay. most of it is the bone is off. Those go, not all of, not all the bones go in the, in the cauldron, but a good amount. And I couldn't really say what that amount that is. Mm -hmm. um, but the head, including the head, the head goes in there, the ears, okay. the, um, yeah, various bits and bobs. Uh, and then, then the first thing that, so then is lunch. And the first thing that you make mm -hmm. is something called mozgi, which mm -hmm. mozog means um, brain in Slovak. And so you take the brain and the spinal cord and make this dish. You, you fry up, kind of caramelize a lot of onions mm -hmm. and paprika. What else goes in there? Some of the meat you would, you'd just take a chunk of, of muscle meat and grind it up and throw it in mm -hmm. eggs and then you would eat it with pickles and bread for lunch okay um, and and the brain and the spinal cord are in that too yes yes that's that's mixed in there okay that would be the first meal or like the, the lunch mm -hmm. uh, then uh you take so the, and then so you have a, a, a stove available somewhere. My parents-in-law have like a wood cook stove in their basement and you'd have, you cook a big thing of rice mm -hmm. and you start the, the organs that were cooking in the, yeah. one of the cauldrons, you take them out and grind. So not all of them, but a good amount of them can be ground and you make into a sausage called yatanichki. Mm -hmm. uh, the different areas also have different, there's kind of like dialect names for it. And so it ends up, it's like this rice and organ sausage with a lot of marjoram and garlic and wow. some other herbs. And it, you would never know, you would never be able to tell that there was, it was full of organs. What does it taste like? Ooh, um, marjoram. Yeah, the herbs. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of marjoram and garlic. It's kind of rice. It's very fatty, mm. um, and yeah, I, I don't think I can describe the taste. So it's put into the casings from the intestine, is it? Yes, although we would often buy buy the casings because cleaning it out is a lot of work. Yeah, that's that's a hard job. And then is it yeah. um, fried or is it boiled? Uh, you bake them. Oh, it's so, baked. Okay. Yeah. So you, you dip it in, in some broth, you dip it in more broth. So it's kind of covered in more, uh, it, it shrinks the casing a little bit and mm -hmm. is covered in more fat. And then we often fro froze them. And I absolutely love this food because I can literally take it from my freezer, throw it in my oven and have dinner in 20 minutes. Yeah, because it's got anything. the rice in as well. Exactly. So it's a whole. Yeah, it's got the rice in it. It's yeah. got the organs. It's got uh, some 
maybe a little bit of meat, but not, not a lot of like muscle meat. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you just bake it until it's crispy and warmed through and, and there's dinner with, yeah. uh, it's excellent with, um, some fermented vegetables kind of count for the, goes well with the, the, the richness. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds mm-hmm. delicious. And is that, um, recipe one of the ones that you've documented? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So if I get hold sure. of some organs, which I do quite regularly, it's something that I could try to recreate here. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Okay. So keep keep going. Tell us what happens next. Uh, another thing that goes into the cauldrons are it's uh, it translates to under the under chin. So I think it's the area I'm guessing from under the chin. Mm-hmm. That is pure fat, and it's like a big hunking chunk of fat. <laughs> it gets boiled, mm-hmm. and then they pull it out of the cauldron and poke it with a mixture of paprika and uh, and minced garlic. Okay. Uh, and then that. So this is one that I don't love the way it is i like it if it's a little bit fried but they would just slice it you know they would keep it in the fridge and just slice a piece off and eat it with a piece of bread uh, i'm not quite there it, it wasn't it's not um it's not salted or smoked or anything mm. it's just a big hunk of boiled fat with and they it, it the whole like they would poke it with this mixture and then also like cover it um in this this spice mixture so the flavors mm. of the spices and the garlic go into the fat. So it's kind of it's yeah. got it's got another flavor, but it's not something like, for example, the equivalent not a would heck be of a lot. lardo in Italian, which is very flavored because it's left for six months with all those spices on it, and it's not cooked uh-huh. to start with. Um, I remember when I went to Russia, I had chunks of fat which didn't have any of um, kind of flavorings on them. You know, they weren't. Um, cured and I think perhaps they were done in a similar way Um, but I haven't had boiled fat at any other time other than that yeah it's you know I can it's a it's a great winter food it's really Mm. like full of energy and would keep you full for a long time but uh, not my palate wasn't there yet yeah Okay, so what happens to the rest of the fat, you know, um, the back fat and the belly fat and the other bits so of fat? So then he, uh, the, the, uh, well, when you cook the rice, you use a mm. lot of this water that has, the organs have been cooking in. Mm. Um, and then so one of, the, one of the cauldrons is emptied, and then you use that cauldron to make lard in. I see. So okay. all, the, all the fat gets chopped up, skin off. Mm. And uh, also the skin goes in these um called in one of the the other cauldron that's still mm. bubbling away. Okay. And you uh yeah, and so it's someone you need a person, this is why you need so many people, is because you need a person to be uh stirring the lard fairly regularly. Yeah, so it doesn't burn. Yeah. Um and that I mean it just bubbles there for oh I don't know how long a long time so I've uh, made the the recipe that you have for the kind of the biscuity scone things with the crappings uh, yeah. from the lard in it and um that 
the idea, I mean, we make lard here and we love the flavour of the bits that are left over. So that lard, when it goes in the cauldron, it's chopped up into small bits, is it? They're actually pretty, they're, it, it depends on the type. Like there's some, some fat is quite thick and chunky mm. and those are smaller, but then there's some thin, thin fat and that will be like a, a bigger piece. But they're actually, they're not tiny pieces. They're actually relatively okay. thick. And when they, when they drain the, the lard off, Mm-hmm. The cracklings that are left are, they're still like, theoretically, you could still get more fat out of them. They're still quite, um, okay. yeah, they're not like super hard. They're, they're fairly soft and they do a lot of things with them. Uh, one is, so they grind them up and you can use them to make these, yeah, I guess biscuits. So it's a, a yeasted dough that I've made with sourdough and, um, uh, the you to make it you you put the this ground cracklings in between the layers like and to mm. what do you call it to um to like laminate it laminate it mm. yeah to laminate you laminate the dough with these this uh crackling ground cracklings mm. but they also use it to make um spreads for bread so you might mm. Uh, boil an egg and grate that up and or chop it up and a carrot grated carrot and mix it with the cracklings and and there's very there's all kinds of recipes that or maybe a pickles or something um, so you leave the cracklings as they are rather than make them into the paste like you would for the cookies and no no you'd make them into the paste ah, so you you'd still have the paste. the paste and okay. so you still have the paste and the paste would act almost like mayonnaise or something it would be the kind of the binder for the, for the spread. Okay. And then what happens to the lard? That's not used as a spread. No, that's used, um, that's put in, in big metal, uh, I don't even know, big metal containers. I don't know what I would call them in English. And then that's used uh, uh, throughout the winter for cooking, for mm. all these Wiener schnitzel. To, to, um, yeah, I'm, I don't think there's any particular special thing that they do with the lard. And do people still use lard as a as the main cooking fat now, or is that changing? Mm. I think it changed, and it's maybe going back a little ah, bit. Okay. Okay. So, at least, yeah, people are starting to use it more. But, um, I mean, veg- vegetable oils were, are are used a lot. Yeah. I, um, I'd absolutely heartily recommend having a go at that, um, the lard crackling paste biscuit things. I don't know. What's the proper name for them, Naomi? <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to think and I'm totally <laughs> blanking out. <laughs> because there's so many accents in um, Slovakian language that I just don't know where to start when I try and pronounce something because I don't know what the accent is. Oh, mean right, at all. of course, of course. Actually, Slovak is exceedingly easy to um, learn to read the accents, or you can learn the accents in about okay. five minutes. Okay. But give me a minute. They are absolutely beautiful. They, um, I did it with sourdough, like you said you've done, and with spelt. And I've done it more than once. And there's usually a fight in our house for cracklings. But um, I've managed to <laughs> I've managed to say, no, we're making these things with them. And, and Gabriel absolutely loves them. He, he, um, 
He says, I want those lardy crackling scone things with extra lard on the top for my birthday. <laughs> because it just, the lamination Aww. means they go sort of strated with this beautiful um, the soaking up of the, of the crackling flavour into the bits yeah. of dough. And they're just, oh, they are absolutely wonderful. And I froze some of them as well. And they came out, you know, just as good when I, um, when I defrosted them. And so I'd recommend that recipe's on your site as well. I'd recommend if anyone likes baking and, and has access to those cracklings, it's something that's definitely worth um, trying because it just, it tastes heavenly. It does. They're, okay, I remember. They're called, so pagach is mm. the word for these kind of biscuity scone things, but there's okay. all the different kinds of pagach. You can have potato or, or okay. cheese or various flavors. And the... The kind with the cracklings in them are called Oshkvarkove Pagach. Okay. And the uh and there's even within I have one recipe on my blog that's kind of a softer dough, but I've also had them the the same using the same lard cracklings, had it if the more basically the more lard the more cracklings in lard you use, the more uh kind of crispy it is. I've had some that are kind of more crispy and even more layered. Right. Um, these ones are a softer one and, uh, yeah. So pagach. They're very nice. <laughs> okay. So we've, we've got the bones are in the water. The, the lard's been either boiled or the fat's been boiled or made into lard. And we've got the organs in the sausage with the rice. Where do we go next? Ooh, so, uh, what's next? Um, Another thing that they make, so the, the blood that was kept mm. in the bucket that was stirred with the arm, mm. uh, it becomes black pudding. That's usually, so you can either make blood sausages or blood pudding. I much prefer, I personally much prefer the blood pudding because the, a black pudding, because the blood sausages have this kind of, um, a texture that I'm not totally into. It's kind of almost like crystalline or something. I don't know. Uh, but the the black pudding is lovely. It is really good. It's So this cauldron is filled with cracked barley mm -hmm. and um, more of this, some of this broth and the blood and probably margarine. Margarine seems to go in a lot of things. Okay. And... That is another thing. So you need another person <laughs> to stir this <laughs> so it doesn't burn. And uh, yeah, and it's just cooked until it kind of reaches this pudding consistency. This is something that doesn't keep very well and it doesn't freeze very well. So they put this into bowls and it's something that you share with the neighbors. Okay. And it's, um, eaten, it's eaten like a kind of a porridge consistency, is it? Yeah. And they'll, they'll warm it up. Sometimes they'll crack an egg into it and kind of scramble it. Mm -hmm. um, I like it. I like it. The, I actually really like it cold. Uh, but it's also really nice. You can, yeah, mix an egg with it and warm it up. And it I changes. Oh, it's just, it changes consistency a fair amount if it's warm or cold. Yeah. I don't know how many people listening have, have tasted blood. I wonder if you could talk about how that tastes. Um, it does not taste like when you have a bleeding nose. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> um, it doesn't have that metallic taste. Um, 
gosh, it's so hard to describe taste of taste. Uh, It's, I'm sorry, dear listeners, I'm really bad at describing this. You're just going to have to come and try it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I think that we need kind of education. I feel like often I need an education on how to describe taste because, you know, I've got a few words that, that I use, but they never seem to do justice to the thing that I'm actually no. experiencing in my mouth. And I, one day I will find a book or study one of those yeah. kind of round chart things that has all the different flavours that go, that go round and, and try to understand how I can describe flavours a bit more because, um, yeah, or maybe let I'll me, just... Let me know when you find that book. <laughs> yeah, I'll share it with you. I'll share it with everyone when I do. It's, okay. It's yeah. a it's a very gentle taste. Like it's not sour, it's not bitter. Um I wouldn't exactly call it sweet, but it's just a very I think it's it's I think it's a very gentle flavor. It sounds like a when comfort it's in food the, that one. It sounds really comfortable. Yeah, it's when when it's uh I've had blood sausage a couple times and it's a different taste than the blood sausage. Mm. I think even though the blood is like this, you know, common common ingredient um it has a much softer uh flavor and it has a soft consistency that's that's the best i can do no, that's, that, that's good it's, Thank you. it's not meaty like it's not you don't feel like you're eating meat yeah though. yeah, like it's, yeah it doesn't have a meaty flavor yeah okay okay so what what's left from the um butchering and the cooking and the cauldrons what happens next uh so ah so another thing they make is Mm. plachenka or head cheese but they don't or uh, i think in britain they call it brawn yeah but um it uses more than just the head so these you use the the broth that the head and other bones have been cooking in and some more of the organs i think the tongue often goes in here Mm -hmm. the heart um even some of the uh, maybe the lungs, the lungs go into the yatonichka, into the rice sausage. Okay. Um, and yeah, st- I think a lot, still a lot of garlic and marjoram. <laughs> that's all that's coming up. <laughs> and it goes into these casings. Uh, a couple times they made it where they put it into the stomach and then smoked it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, because uh, the stomach is fairly... Uh, it's quite a thick, um, has quite a thick wall. It's not like an intestine casing. It's it's a thick wall. Mm-hmm. Put it in there and, and they smoked it. Um, but often they put it into kind of this large plastic casing and it it uh, gelatinizes. Is that mm-hmm. a verb? Yeah, no, um, it is. We'll make it a verb. <laughs> and yeah, and then you just slice it and, and eat it with bread. Um, this one can freeze. You can freeze it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's again some. It's not cured, but it's a very fast. You know, you spend the, this day making it, and then you just cut off a slice, and there's your protein for the day. Yeah, and collagen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I am. I'm hoping to um to do something with a stomach soon. I have a friend here who um is Italian but went to Glasgow for the COP summit and got inspired by Haggis up there and who said he might be able to get hold of a 
a stomach, a sheep stomach here. And um, did I want to have a go at making some haggis with him? And I've never um, worked with a sheep stomach before, so it will be interesting. And I might, I'll look that up and see um, that and compare it to haggis because, you know, there's there's the tradition of haggis in Scotland, which sounds like it, Mm -hmm. it, it is quite similar. My parents had, um, I've never had hot haggis, but my mm. parents had haggis and sushi at their wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a mix. That's inspiring. Yes. Wow. Oh, gosh. So if all of these things are being made in one day and it's winter, I'm guessing that it must get dark quite early. What, what happens? Does, does, does literally all of that get done before it gets dark? Or does the garden get lit up by candles? Do people just work in the dark? Yeah, you either have uh, you either have lights strung up, and Mm. we would either do it in kind of this outbuilding. Technically, it's a garage, but it doesn't have a door. Okay. Um, so we would either do it there, or if it's really cold, we would move. My parents and I have a large basement with kind of a a kitchen. I mean, very rudimentary kitchen. There's a wood stove and running water basically and uh, set up a table and I mean you don't really actually need a lot of fancy equipment you know a big table a couple of knives yeah. and and big things to mix for mixing mm. um and that's that's the majority of what you need and do you they eat- also yeah go on sorry go ahead I was wondering if you eat that blood pudding for um supper because you've had you, you explain what you have for lunch and then obviously you're still going when you, and you need more food in the, in the afternoon or early evening. What, well, what do you eat then? By the time dinner time comes around, you've been picking at a lot of things, to be honest, because these bits come out of the, um, the organs come out of the cauldron and he'll, you know, cut off those. There's usually a little thing of salt and he'll, he'll, cut off, I don't know, like in a, a gland and say, oh, try this gland. And, you know, you pop that and then yeah. a piece of this and a piece of that. So by the time dinner time comes around, usually all I want is a salad. <laughs> 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 but um, now I don't know if this is particular to the butcher that we had or mm. if it's a general thing, but he would often um, bake meat. So he'd take a bunch of various pieces, throw it on a on a cookie sheet and uh with a lot of paprika I think is how he did it and bake some meat and so there'd be baked meat in the evening but to be honest I rarely I maybe would have a small piece but by that time I was pretty full because I would have been yeah yeah, (laughs) eating glands (laughs) so we haven't actually talked much about the flesh you've talked about some of it being minced and put in with other dishes but what happens to the rest of the the muscle meat uh, most of the muscle meat then gets frozen. Okay. They, uh, oh, actually no. So they do make, they do also, when you start, when you start the, the whole process, you tell the butcher or you've decided if you're doing it yourself, what you want to do. Cause there's so many things that you can do. Um, liver pate is another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one can often get canned. They, not so much in glass cans, but in, in metal cans. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you a secret. If anybody, and I learned this from the butcher, um, from my, uh, who's at these butcherings. Um, 
the secret to non-liver tasting liver pate, even with, this even works with beef liver, which is quite strong, mm. is allspice. Wow. If you put some allspice in it, I don't know why, but some chemistry happens and it negates the liver taste. So I do have a recipe on my blog I, with, that I made with beef liver, and I highly recommend trying it because if you feel like, oh, I should eat liver because it's healthy and you just can't, mm. this is, allspice is the, uh, the spice to put in. I think it. a lot of people do think that. So the, our show notes are just going to be a massive long list of all your recipes. <laughs> so we'll put that one in as well. Um, and then, then they'll sometimes can meat. So um, they'll put in a few pieces of skin. Mm. And I don't know if they choose what kind of cuts go in there. I was never, I wasn't in the deciding process. Mm. But they'll oft, often also can it. And so then, again, middle of the winter, you need a quick dinner, yeah. you just pull out a can, open it, warm it up, and maybe some rice or something. And the skin, you said that some of it goes in to be canned, and you talked earlier about some of it going in the um, one of the cauldrons. Is there something specific done with that, or is it just kind of added to the general, you know, meat portions? It gets ground up, it gets ground up and put in, uh, some of it, go, not ground up, some of it is it stays as pieces. Mm. and goes into the head cheese. Oh, and some yeah. of it grounds, gets ground up and goes into the rice sausage. Right. Um, there's never any pieces of, of skin left over, so it gets used up. Wow. And so at the end of the day, literally, that there's nothing left of the pig. Everything's been cooked or canned or frozen and put in something. Yeah, so they leave the... Or bacon also. They, can, they also make bacon. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the meat, then the meat and the bones sit out overnight. So it's got to be cold. Uh, mm. it, they sit and let it rest and then wrap it up and freeze it the next day. Okay. Um, yeah. And that includes, you know, it can be the trotters, the mm. pretty much really the, the toenails. And if we haven't cleaned out the intestines, then the intestines yeah. get, get thrown away. And that's, that's really it. Wow. And then that is food for the rest of the year traditionally mm. well it's easier now with freezers of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this would often actually uh, a long time ago traditionally uh, weddings were often held in the winter because a there wasn't so much work to do outside and b yeah. you had you could kill a pig and you had all these kind of feast celebratory foods to yeah. eat yeah feast to have um, uh, it really depends how big your family is, how long, a how mm -hmm. long a, a pig will last, but a, a, a family might kill one or two pigs a year. And what's your favorite dish out of all the ones that you've talked about or some you haven't actually told us about from that process, which thing do you enjoy the most? Um, Probably the rice sausages, okay. partly for the taste and partly they're just so convenient. Yeah. They've really, they've really, you know, I can have a real food meal on <laughs> really quickly, very conveniently. Yeah. Um, oh, and they can all, and there's also uh, klobasa, smoked sausages. You can also make with the, the muscle meats. 
are... I've heard of them. I think that they're, they're... I was going to put them in a, a soup, a, a kind of a sourdough soup last year, I think, that I read about those sausages. Yeah, so they have... Um, the ones they do here are kind of... Paprika, I think of paprika as a very Hungarian mm. um, flavoring, and a lot of it came up here. Okay. Uh, so these have a lot of paprika, garlic. Oh, I don't know. There's kind of a long list of, of herbs and spices that go in it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And then you have a ratio of, of fat and muscle meat. Mm -hmm. And then they smoke, and they'll, the longer, once you get them back, I mean, the smell of smoked sausages mm. is just <laughs> so good uh and the longer it sits then the the after smoking the longer it sits the harder it gets so sometimes you can put they use them in um soups they use them just boiled or baked um you can throw them in uh they have something they call french potatoes where you layer it's like a potato gratin kind of but it's um you throw those in there. Uh, yeah. It's a clobasa are a very like classic quick food here. That sounds they sound absolutely delicious. So is there anything else about the day and the process that um you want to share with us that I haven't prompted or you haven't talked about? Mm. Uh then you clean up. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the boring bit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and it's best my mother-in-law has, or a lot of people would have had a second bathtub and the second bathtub downstairs and the second mm -hmm. bathtub got used for kind of, they actually, at Christmas, you would buy a carp and then you would leave the carp in the, your second bathtub for a couple of days to kind of clean out Oh my um, gosh! before you, before you, before you butchered it, like before you killed it. Oh my Lord. So you um, have a live carp in a bathtub downstairs waiting for. The feast. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the tradition. Uh, I can't see it. It isn't actually one that I've done because I don't love carp, but mm -hmm. um, that was the tradition. But it's also very handy for washing these big pots and and yeah. uh, things. It's kind of it's up higher than you would have a normal bathtub. It's um, kind of on a stand on a okay. ledge, and yeah, a lot of washing hot water. Essential because everything's greasy. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I mean, it was the same when I was a child, and we had um, we butchered the sheep. It was that same kind of, you know, lots of people get together. You eat a fair amount. There's a lot of often a fair amount of drinking goes on, mm. and. Um, and not like people aren't, you know, staggering or anything. Well, depends, maybe depends which family you're in. But um, yeah, I just always really, from what I remember as a kid, even though the process was very different, I always really enjoy these kind of get togethers where a lot of people come together and kind of have a work, a work be on whatever it might happen to be. Yeah, that's what the next question I was going to ask you. How does it feel? How many times have you done this? Oh, I haven't done it for a couple of years because my my in-laws no longer have a pig. They aren't able um, 
aren't able to keep one anymore, but how many times uh, every year for, I don't know, 10 years wow. or something. Okay. <laughs> and and how does it feel to you? How did it feel to you to, to be part of that day? What did you, you know, what memories have you taken from it? A lot of the memories are of actually stirring, stirring the, um, well, it depends. You know, I, I really loved uh, involving my kids in it yeah, yeah. once they came along. Um, partly because, you know, the, the whole attitude towards meat, animals and meat, and I want them to realize, you know, to, to be grateful for where their meat comes from and realize the, the cost of it, mm. but at the same time, in a, in a grateful way rather than in, in a rejecting way. And, um, so, and then it's just, you know, it's, it's so much, they loved to help out when they were little, you know, carrying things back and forth or, or stirring the, stirring the pot, Mm. the cauldrons. And, and then, you know, they have a limit, a limited, they would help for quite a while. And then they go, you know, all the cousins would go together and play and, and, um, yeah, it's just, it's hard to say that there's like specific things. It's more just kind of this warm, fuzzy memory of of being together in community and connecting over a common um, common goal. Yeah, I think it's um, it's something that the kind of ancestral legacy of of doing things like having an animal and slaughtering it, or in the case of um, perhaps in the case of Italy, you know, having a, a, a garden or a, um, an auto completely full of tomatoes and needing to make the mm-hmm. tomato paste for the for the winter and take yeah. the skins off and, and put them in this bath. And, you know, it, it, things and traditions on that scale that involve everyone coming in, whether they be 80 or 8, and helping... Yeah to do something yeah. that will nourish the family for a very long time is is so deeply encoded in our in our history even if we don't realize that you know when we have the opportunity like you have to be involved in it 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 really leaves nice feelings with us because it yeah. feel, it feels good you know yeah i i have the same memories um from my childhood some of butchering, but also of, of things like haying. And, you know, when I was a kid, we did most, a lot of things manually and with square bales that we had to stack and, and now to stuck. And now, you know, my, my dad can do it with a couple of machines and, mm. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's in, in one way, the, the efficiency is, a lot easier and and he wouldn't be able to physically do it now with um yeah you know by himself or or to accomplish so much so quickly but at the same time then you miss out on that kind of the coming together and the yeah yeah it's a it's a kind of a tug of wanting to be 
efficient and wanting, you know, the fact that he can still do it on his own now with the machines, but also the awareness of what we're losing by not coming together to do these things like we used to once. Yeah, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of how I, actually this is making me want to kind of start something with my kids because we don't have a pig or a field to hay. (laughs) And trying to think of how we can incorporate something like this with them. Now I'm trying to think like, hmm, what could we do? Do you cook with them often or not? Uh, yes. Well, I try to cook with them together on Sundays. That's kind of the day. Um, everyone get everyone in the kitchen doing different things. And some people actually quite a few people still will, uh, buy a pig so they won't raise the pig, but they'll buy the pig and do all these butchering things. They'll butcher it themselves. I have, am, haven't done I haven't embraced it so enthusiastically though because I know the pigs aren't always raised in great conditions and so if I found a farm that had pigs running around outside I'd do it in a minute but um that's often not the case so would you like to in the future now you've got your house have a pig there is that something you consider doing oh um I don't know (laughs) Ideally, yes, yeah. uh, but they are very stinky, and our neighbors might not be so enthusiastic mm-hmm. about it. And you know, there's we don't have any animals yet, and whether it's a dog or a cat or chickens or a pig, it just requires a different level of yeah. Um, you know, it's just not so easy to pack up and go somewhere. Yeah, it's a commitment. Which we don't, I mean, it's a commitment. And we're, I mean, especially during coronavirus, we're not going anywhere anyway. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, when we do go to Canada, we do go for a longer, we don't go, you know, so often, but when we do go, we try yeah. and go for a longer um, time. And yeah. So. Yeah, that's hard when you, when you have, you know, your family on the other side of the world. It means that, um, I know that, you know, if Andrea was on the call, she has her animals there, you know, she and she's going to get more. And it, it ties her to that land very definitely. And, mm-hmm. you know, she has mm-hmm. a lot of her family and her friends around her, which is fabulous because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't restrict her. She can still see them and be with them and they can be with her. Yeah. While she's also looking after her, her property and also all of the animals that she has. You know, when you've got family in another part of the world, that's it's not so easy. Yeah, yeah, and and it, yeah, we'll see. Maybe we'll start with some chickens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, are are people still doing the traditional raising of pigs and slaughtering in Slovakia? Are their families still doing it, or is it something that's that's you know kind of falling away? Because you said that some of the traditions are coming back, and I'm wondering whether that is too. Um, a lot of these products you can buy in the store. Mm. So if, if someone, um, if someone gets like a taste hankering for it, of course it's never the same as homemade, but, um, you can buy a lot of them. Uh, 
I do know some families who, yeah, they they don't want to raise the pig, but then they'll buy a, a grown pig and and butcher it. Um, I'm not. Sh- Things like fermenting are coming back, yeah. but the meat. Mm, I don't know how much of that is coming back. Yeah, I feel like that's a kind of perhaps what's happening in other parts of the world in that you know in the food health food revival that's happening um a lot of people are fermenting a lot of people are fermenting and a lot of fermenting traditions Mm. are coming back but because of the kind of the the soup we have of climate change and opinions on growing um on raising animals and the effects that those have on the world not so many people are embracing traditions that involve um animal raising animal rearing and yeah. that kind of thing yeah. as much as they're embracing kombucha and and sauerkraut and pickling and sauerkraut yeah. you know so because it doesn't i mean those things don't require you know you can if you live in a van you can have yeah. a little bot you know jar yeah. of sauerkraut on your counter or something yeah. or it's you can't it's hard to take a pig around with you in your yeah. van yeah exactly <laughs> so if um if someone would want to make one of the recipes, I mean, I'd recommend your um, the again. I've completely forgotten the name, the the lard pagach crackly. Yeah, pagach. I'd recommend that. Um, can you tell us where people can find those recipes, and if you have one particular that you would like to point people to, so people can go and have a look at them. Um, so I do have a blog. It's mm. called Almost Bananas. Um, it it's a mix, it started out as a food blog and then it kind of tr- uh, changed more to to writing and uh, describing Slovakia, mm-hmm. um, both the traditions and food and and landscape and um, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a recipe that I haven't written on there for quite a while? Okay, but I keep it up. Um, it's available. I think there's quite a lot is on there. there. I mean, whenever I go on there and I look at one post, I go down to the bottom and it shows me all these other posts. And I think, well, I haven't read yeah. that one and I haven't read that one. So there is a wealth of information on there. And there's also a download of, is it soups, Slovakian soups or Slovakian stews? Yes, I do. I Yes, but I think the link is broken and, and anything technical makes me um, <laughs> like want to stick my head in the sand. So I should probably fix that. I do have an ebook of Slovak soups. Yeah. Uh, because soup is really a big, a, a very large part of the culture here. Mm-hmm. They have a, a bone broth soup is is every Sunday like that. Even even now, that's that's still very um, that's still done. And um, the recipe is. Do I I don't think I have. A, I don't know if I have a favorite recipe on there. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite foods, the foods I described for for lunch, the strapačky with yeah. the the yeah. sauerkraut and bacon, and I have a version of that instead of the potato dumplings. I have a version of that on the blog, just baking it with potatoes. Oh, okay. Um, and although you don't really need a recipe for it, it's it's very kind of like if you like a lot of sauerkraut, you put a lot. If you're not so sure about it, you just put yeah. a little. You know, it's um, but. That's one of my favorite Slovak foods. It's just, it's so comforting. And so Slovak food is is comfort food. It is not light. Mm. It's not really summery food. There's not a lot of Slovak foods I make in the summer. But in the winter, it's uh, 
it's peasant food. You know, it's really food that sticks to your bones and um, gets you, you know, gives you a lot of energy to work in the fields. Um, And it's very, it's simple. Like it's, um, there's a, a, you know, limited repertoire of of spices or, you know, you don't need a lot of, um, of, yeah, a lot of them just involve very, very ordinary ingredients. And, yeah. Thank you. I think it's the right time of the year for it as we're coming into winter in the Northern Hemisphere, at least. (laughs) And um, the other thing I wanted to say about your blog was that, you know, even if you don't need a recipe for some of these recipes, it's worth going and checking your recipe because your photos are beautiful and um, very atmospheric. And your writing is too. And so, you know, just reading through it, you you get uh, a flavour and a taste of the culture and the traditions. And I remember a particularly striking picture on the um, pig butchering. Um, and I meant to say it when you were talking about getting your children involved. There's there's a picture there of a, of a youngster kind of involved in the day holding a part of a pig. Um, and, yeah, the rest of your photos are just, they're really, really beautiful. The, and the attention to detail. Thank you. In it. Um, it's, I, it's I really enjoy blogging. Mm. I really enjoy blogging. I would really, really love to um, get back into it and do it more. But I never, I never wanted to put ads on it or anything. Mm. So I, uh, yeah, with limited amounts of time went towards other things. Oh, I do know, actually, I do know my favorite blog posts, though. Yeah, Not necessarily okay. my favorite recipes, but my favorite blog posts. I have two blog posts where I go to um, somebody's house. And they show me how to make something. And I, those are absolutely my favorite ones. They tell me about their life and what it was like growing up here. And, mm-hmm. and I have pictures of just random things in their kitchen. You know, we're in the kitchen and they're showing me how to make something and kind of different things. And those are definitely my favorite blog posts. What are those and titled when we, when we go there? How can we find those? Uh, probably under... I have headings either Slovakia or recipes, and yeah. they both do have recipes. One of them is opentance. It's a like a kind of a gnocchi with with a millet, mm-hmm. and then over top you they would put um, that's very specific to this area where I'm in, uh, and then they would put it uh, fry uh, fry onions mm-hmm. on top and bacon, and I added some things of my own like blue cheese and and stuff um and the other one uh and she also the same lady it's two different blog posts though the same lady also showed me how to make pulled strudel mm-hmm. um and then the other lady showed me how to make it's called sleeze they're uh kind of like a thick noodle uh, kind of like a, yeah basically a noodle but they make them short and they serve them sweet. They serve them savory in various ways. But, um, yeah. I'll take a look at those two and I'll link those as well. Um, okay. <laughs> and there's just going to be a feast of reading and, and looking for people to do. And I hope that you can get to back to blogging one day in the future because, um, yeah, it's just a joy to read the posts. And, and I get very excited about all the recipes as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. I think. Um, 
I certainly say that, you know, perhaps next year we can have you back on and we can go through some a couple of the dishes. You could pick three or four of your favourite dishes, perhaps, and we could talk about them and um, yeah, get for people sure. making them, which would be really good fun. Is there anything else that you want to add before we close? Because, um, yeah, I've noticed the time and we've been talking for quite a while. <laughs> um, can't think of anything at the moment. No. Okay. So if people want to find you, they can go to your blog. Is it just almostbananas.com or what's the URL? Almostbananas.net. .net. Okay. And you're on Instagram yeah, as well. So what's your handle on Instagram? I'm, I'm on Instagram as almostbananas. Okay. Uh, the, the title came up because I wanted it related to food and I had twins that were about a year and a half old and mm -hmm. I was, so it's a little, also almost crazy <laughs> supposed to be the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember when I had one aged one and a half, a twins aged one and a half. Wow. I can understand that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty pretty nuts and I was like oh I'm gonna start a blog <laughs> why not <laughs> like I haven't got enough to do <laughs> exactly exactly wonderful thank you ever so much for your time it's been wonderful I'm to, um... so so honored that you guys asked me to be here oh. I know there are, I feel like there's so many people that are ex better experts in in uh these kinds of things so not I'm at just, all yeah I really think you know, I've punch. had so much joy looking at your pictures and your words and and making your recipes certainly so it's been yeah it's been an honor for us to have you on and I know that Andrew would say that as well um so thank you ever thank so much you. thank you thank you thank you so much for listening we'd love to continue the conversation come find us on Instagram Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at Ancestral underscore Kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Mm -hmm.